no problem, Greg. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that's right. I mean, I think uh, one really needs to look back to the liberal platform going into the election where they said they wanted to introduce a mandatory target, which the industry has interpreted as a sales mandate, similar to what's in place in in Quebec or B.C. Um, They actually set out a target of a mandatory target of 50 percent new vehicle sales by 2030, leading to the uh, the 100 percent by 2035. Well, I think uh, certainly um, the 2035 goal of 100% of uh, sales is certainly um, (laughs) in some ways an easier, but in some ways a more difficult target than than what's being proposed for uh, 2030. So 2030, they're suggesting that they would put in essentially a ZEV mandate that would require 50% of all new vehicle sales uh, to be ZEV by 2030. And 2030, as you know, isn't that that far away when you consider that 2023 model year vehicles are available in the marketplace right now. So, um, you know, that that's clearly the direction that I think the world is going and consensing around this, this 100% of sales by 2035. Um, but it's all the, the interim steps and it's not, uh, it's not just the, 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 sort of the purview of the federal government, we've got, you know, provinces like BC that are saying, well, they want to have, you know, 90% uh, zero emission sales under their ZEV mandate by, by 2030. So we've got a mixed bag across the country and what the federal government's considering now, and also Quebec is considering increasing the stringency under their ZEV mandate as well. Right. Right. Well, I think in an ideal world, if you're going to have a, if we're going to be stuck with a zero emission mandate, and I think at a federal level, an argument could be made that we really don't need one, um, then we would probably prefer to have one, uh, you know, piece of legislation to cope with rather than, you know, three potentially at this point or potentially others as uh, other provinces consider putting in zero emission vehicle mandates. I think the challenge is, um, are, would the federal government be able to get uh, the existing provinces that have zero emission vehicle mandates to stand down and, uh, you know, essentially adopt a, a federal mandate? And, you know, that's that's a question that we have for the federal government at this point as they they start consulting on uh, what a zero emission vehicle mandate would look like. And, you know, as you said earlier, how they would go about regulating it and, and all these sorts of things. Well, 
Well, for sure. And I, ultimately, what it really means is that it's, um, you know, if we end up with three, then it's just a, another layer of compliance cost. And, uh, you know, they're all slightly different. So you've got different complexities associated with how um, uh, you know, vehicle manufacturers would comply with the, the various uh, ZEV mandates. So it's, it becomes increasingly problematic. And I think uh, the larger issue, too, is that it takes us, the industry, out of uh, really out of alignment with the United States as far as um, how we regulate emissions. And in this case, the government's trying to regulate emissions by um, essentially dictating a particular type of technology uh, as a means of reducing emissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think you've you've hit on a few things there, Greg. And I think the the thing that the manufacturers can control, obviously, is the product that they're bringing to the market. And you know, I think we've all seen uh, the statistics that you know, amongst all the the manufacturers, we're probably going to have upwards of 130 to. And, you know, 150 uh, zero new zero emission vehicle models um, in the marketplace between 2023 and 2025. You know, the larger question that you raised is affordability. Will consumers actually be able to afford, you know, those vehicles, especially in an environment, you know, uh, a relatively high inflationary environment that we're in right now, where you know their their budgets are being uh, eaten up, um, you know, with with other uh, and other family obligations. So, you know, um, affordability is going to be continue to be dependent on governments providing incentives and, and making it clear that they're going to be providing incentives for, you know, a set period of time into the future until we achieve price parity between zero emission vehicles and, and ICE vehicles. Um, and larger question, so that's usually the first uh, obstacle for most people, but then uh, the the second uh, issue that is uh, raised sort of survey after survey, poll after poll, is where am I going to be able to charge the, my vehicle? And, and, you know, if I take it on the trip, will, will I have access to the charging station? Even if it is there, um, you know, there might be other uh, you know, uh, drivers using the, the station at the time. So infrastructure is huge. And, uh, you know, that's another issue that we've sort of laid at the feet of the government. It's like, oh, if you're asking the industry to produce the vehicles, um, which is on us, then the government has to create the environment by both incentives and infrastructure to ensure that the consumer has the, uh, I guess, the, the comfort level of, of embracing uh, zero emission vehicles. And you know, the other issue, frankly, is that um, for many, you know, electric vehicles or zero emission vehicles are um, are still a bit of an unknown, and there's a, a huge um, education effort that needs to be undertaken to uh, to help consumers better understand. Um, you know, not only you know, there are some some challenges, but also there are some benefits from driving electric vehicles as well. So it's a it's a three legged stool, as we like to call it, and those are the the three key things. Um, you know, uh, that need to be put in place right now uh, and um, uh, committed to um, you know, with a high degree of, uh, of money behind them for incentives, infrastructure, and then consumer education programs.
Yeah, well, they uh, they they should be. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that they could be larger than they are right now because we're still not bridging the differential between uh, a zero emission vehicle and an ICE vehicle with the incentives that are in place. Now, jurisdictions like BC and and Quebec are are getting a little bit closer when they. You stack the provincial incentive uh, on top of the the federal incentive as well, but we're still not quite there. Um, you know, listeners may be aware that the U.S. was contemplating and perhaps still is contemplating, <clears throat> excuse me, a twelve thousand five hundred dollar incentive. Um, you know, that that level um, perhaps Canada could replicate, but I think what Canada doesn't want is the the conditions associated with that rebate that's being contemplated on, under the Build Back Better bill in the U.S., which is, uh, you know, there's a $7,500 basic rebate. There's another uh, $4,000 uh, if that is uh, in a union shop, which for, you know, Honda and Toyota, my members, uh, does not sit well with them. And then another $500 if the battery is built in the United States and you know the more disconcerting provisions of of that uh, build back better uh, bill uh, that by 2027 a full twelve thousand five hundred dollars would only be available to uh, EVs uh, that are built in the United States, which casts a pall over you know obviously Canadian manufacturing of uh, zero emission vehicles, whether it's um, Honda and Toyota or um, Stellantis, uh, Ford, and General Motors. Well, I think it's something that's under consideration right now. And I, I think the other question that you asked that I, I didn't answer was how long should those incentives be in place? And, you know, I, as I said a moment ago, I think we probably need those incentives to stay in place until there, there's essentially price parity in the marketplace. And people always, uh, the next question people always ask is, well, when is that going to be? And really it's, it's going to vary <clears throat> probably for, from um, sort of vehicle segment to vehicle segment. <clears throat> Excuse me, Greg, but we can anticipate that there will be some price parity in the marketplace um, sometime between 2025 and 2030. But the general consensus is that by around 2028 to 2030, you would have you'd be in the realm of of having price parity on most vehicles. Right. Well, we, we heard in the, the fall economic statement that um, the luxury tax was going to be, it was still a priority for the government. It was just, excuse me, the implementation was going to be postponed. Right now, we don't really know when that is. We've had uh, feelers out to government and we're not getting any clear direction on that. I guess the best guess at this point would be probably looking at uh, something in the federal budget whenever that comes down uh, March or April of this year. Well, I think from our perspective, we don't think uh, a luxury tax is necessary, and I think it could have the perverse impact of actually um, tamping down vehicle sales in the luxury market or simply driving 
those luxury consumers who are normally high wealth individuals with uh, uh, usually some sophistication about how they they purchase the majority of their goods to purchase those vehicles uh, potentially in the U.S. or elsewhere. So I don't know that that's necessarily helpful. And you know, again, uh, the perverse aspect of this from from our perspective is that um, you know discussions that we have had with government have have suggested that they would not be providing an exemption for uh, zero emission vehicles that are over that threshold. And right now, um, again, the incentives that are available for zero emission vehicles um, have an MSRP cap. So uh, luxury EVs you know, aren't, aren't eligible for an incentive. But if the government's sincere about wanting people to drive zero emission vehicles, then, you know, we would suggest that, you know, by exempting luxury uh, zero emission vehicles, and that creates uh, an incentive for people to, um, to purchase a zero emission vehicle vis a vis you know the ICE counterpart. So it just seems uh, that you've got government policy, you know, going in opposite directions on on the luxury tax issue. And you know, really, I think um, the the luxury tax is is not likely to to generate the uh, the amount of uh, revenue that the government thinks it's going to generate. Well, that, that would be our contention for sure, Greg, that it um, doesn't matter how much it costs. If, if your desire is to get more EVs on the road, then um, all, all of those should be encouraged. And, um, you know, I think the the other reality, just to go back to the luxury tax for a moment, is that, um, you know, there, there are the complications that, that make it very challenging, I think, for the industry and for the government to implement is that uh, two provinces, Quebec and B.C., already have uh, luxury taxes in place. So, you know, we end up with a situation uh, where you look at a federal luxury tax where you essentially have the federal luxury tax being applied to the the luxury tax, the, the value of the vehicle that includes the luxury tax in BC. So you have consumers, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just the the federal luxury tax that they're they're paying, they're paying uh, the provincial luxury tax, and then an increment of tax on top of that for the uh, for the federal luxury tax over and above what the the level is set at. Always a pleasure, Greg. Thanks very much for having me.